Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who are committed to working on their own growth and development, as well as helping others to become the best versions of themselves. That's also a key focus of my company, Grow Strong Leaders. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people connect with each other in the workplace. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. I'm really excited today to welcome as my guest, Eric Lofholm. Eric, welcome to my show. Meredith, I'm excited to be here. Well, I am very excited to have you and share you with those in my audience that aren't familiar with you. Eric and I have known each other for, gosh, more than 10 years. And Mm -hmm. then we kind of lost track other than seeing each other, I think, um, on social media at times. Mm -hmm. But in December, we reconnected because of a very special book that we'll talk about a little bit later. First, before we get into our conversation, let me introduce you to who Eric is. He's the president and CEO of Eric Lofholm International, and that's an organization he founded to professionally train people on the art and science of selling. He's the author of 15 books on sales and success, and his latest one, which I have right here and highly recommend, is called Continuous Sales Improvement, The Secret of Achieving Your Peak Sales and Personal Potential. Eric is really a naturally gifted teacher and leader. He's delivered more than 1,500 presentations over the years. And he shares my belief that selling equals service. And we'll talk more about that too. Even if you are not directly involved in sales, there are so many great ideas that Eric and I are going to be covering that are applicable to everyone, no matter what position you're in, no matter what your title is. So Eric, as we get started, tell us a little bit about your journey to the work you're doing today as a sales trainer. Well, I, um, I got into sales um, not because I wanted to learn selling. I was there to learn from a real estate investor and he was a very successful um, multimillionaire. And he said, hey, you can come work for me. I'll teach you. And the job is sales. Okay, fine. So I went into sales. I was his bottom producer for an entire year. At the end of my first year, I was put on quota probation and told I had one more month to hit my quota or I'd be let go. And that's when I met my mentor, Dr. Donald Moyne. And after meeting him and applying his sales ideas, I hit the quota that next month. And the following month, I became the top producer in the company. So I went from worst to first in 60 days. And I'm that's part of why I'm so passionate about professional sales training because I've experienced the benefits of it myself. How I got into training is I am naturally gifted in teaching. So once I learned how to sell, I said, okay, let me take that and let me start teaching other people how to successfully sell. And at first I was just doing it to help people. And then ultimately ended up doing it as my career. I started my current company in 1999 and I've been doing this full-time ever since. 
That's great. And in all those years, I know you've had some amazing lessons yourself. One of the key things that to me is a theme in your book and in everything I've seen you do is around mindset. And so let's just kind of talk in a big picture way about how you define mindset and why that's such a core component to everything you do and teach. Well, what we expect to happen influences our actions. And if we look at life and we think things are going to go great for us, then we're going to take a certain certain type of action based on that. If we think things aren't going to go so well, then we're going to take a certain type of action. If you look at selling, you know, we're working on commission and we have to have that drive and that motivation. So how we expect the day to go is going to have a big impact on the actions that we take. So when I was growing up, when I would look in the mirror and how I thought about myself is I thought I'm average and ordinary. And so I showed up as average and ordinary and I didn't realize I was extraordinary. I didn't realize that I had greatness inside of me. I didn't realize that there were aspects of me that were genius. I was talking to a client today and I told him, I said, you know, his name is Dana. I said, Dana, there are aspects of you that are genius. I said, has anyone ever told you that before? And he said, no. So why would he look for that if no one's ever shared that with him? So one of the, the great things about training is if somebody else can see something in us that we've never seen in ourselves, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm extraordinary. I didn't know that. Well, let me show up as extraordinary. So what we think about ourselves and about our future, uh, it really makes a difference in how we show up on a daily basis. And once I learned that, the trajectory of my life and my career, it, it took a dramatic, a dramatic upswing and it's never stopped. Well, you have a, a morning routine that you faithfully follow. And I would love for you to share what does that look like and consist of, and why do you do it that way? Well, if we just think of the concept of inputs, so input is whatever I put in my brain. So if I put mainstream media in my mind, if I'm starting off my day checking my email, well, what if I get a bad email? And that's the first thing I put in my brain. Or if I check my text messages or a lot of people, they check the stock market. Well, what happens if the stocks go down? And then that, that's what they're putting into their brain. So I think everyone that's watching this is listening is clear. Like, yeah, what I put in my mind, it really does matter. So what if you started your morning and you put some very, very powerful things in your mind as a habit? So something as simple as what are the goals that you're working on? A lot of people do goal setting and then the goals get tucked away in the drawer and they don't revisit them. So what if every day for a couple minutes, you had this document of your goals and you reviewed them. Now you're putting your, your goals into your mind. And then the next piece of it is your I am statements. And your I am statements are the most powerful expression of yourself in writing. So one of my I am statements is I am a leader of leaders. I am a loving husband. I am a loving father. So I'm putting the most powerful expression of myself that rings true for me in my mind as an input. The third one is something I call the resume exercise. And basically what you do is you look at all the things that you are proud of that you've accomplished in your life and you put it in a document. And so I'm taking one to three minutes reading my goals, one to three minutes reading my I am statements, one to three minutes reading this document of all these things I've accomplished, and then one to three minutes of mirror work. So the whole routine is, it takes four to 12 minutes for me to do my morning routine. And I am 
consciously, intentionally putting very powerful inputs into my mind, it's like, no wonder I have confidence during the day. No wonder I'm feeling good about myself because I have this as a habit. It's something very simple that anybody could do. Two things you said there I want to go back to. One is when you talked about your I am statements. And you're probably like me, you used to call them. In fact, in your book, you called them affirmations. But after reading this book, we have shared the ultimate coach. There's the term declaration. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to describe the distinction because I think it's really important uh, to, to think about what does one mean versus the other in terms of how we think about ourselves as we say them. Yeah. So people are going to have different takes on this. I'll give you my take. An affirmation is something that I say. A declaration is a way of being. So if I say I am a loving husband, okay, well, am I being a loving husband? There's a difference. If somebody says I'm a master prospector, fantastic. How many prospecting calls did you do yesterday? Um, I didn't do any. Okay. So the words are there, but the actions aren't there. So I declared, and I didn't know this, the power of this when I first started my company back in 1999, but I declared I am the Zig Ziglar of my generation. And then it was a declaration, not an affirmation. So in other words, I didn't just say it. I've been being that since 1999. And I've probably done more one-on-one coaching reps and more speaking engagements than any other trainer in my age bracket since 1999. So I'm being that. And so if you create these I am statements and then you, you use that as a, this is how I'm going to show up in the world. If you show up as I am forgiving, well, but then if you're carrying around a bunch of resentments, you're not being forgiving. So it's a decision and it's a decision that we all have the opportunity to take every single day of how we show up in the world. And I found this to be extremely powerful for me. I really love your definition there. Here's one thing I'm thinking uh, that can get in the way. If somebody comes up with a statement, whatever they call it, but they don't really believe it's possible, you know, or they have these negative thoughts running through their head or negative phrases saying, oh, yeah, right. That's that's so how do you, you know, bridge that gap or help others that you're coaching bridge that gap between their current belief about what's possible and what they really do want to declare and be. Well, let's, let's bring the, the book into the conversation. So I asked myself in, in creating the book, continuous sales improvement. I said, okay, what's been my secret sauce? How did I go from a, a college dropout bottom producing salesperson to a top producer, to an international sales trainer? So that journey, like what was really the the cause of that? And it it really is a mindset of continuous sales improvement. In other words, I I never arrive. Part of the the path of mastery is we're always the student. So I'm always the student and I continue to work on my skills. So the client I talked to today, where I was talking to him about like what we're discussing right now, and there's aspects of you that are genius. And he was telling me some of his negative beliefs. It's not like he's going to say, okay, all of a sudden I'm now Mr. Positive and snap your fingers. You're now that we got to go in and lift the weights. Okay. If I want my muscles to get stronger, I got to lift the weights. Or if I want my body fat to decrease, I got to get on the treadmill. So if we want to change our thinking, we got to work at it. 
So if you take my morning routine, goals, resume, exercise, I am statements and mirror work, and you do that every day for a month, it's predictable you're going to see shifts in your thinking. Well, what if you did that morning routine every day for a year? What if you did that morning routine every day for 10 years? Now we start getting into the belief system of, hey, I can actually shift my thinking. And there's a distinction called a conditional belief. And it's a, I believe this if. So I said, I want to be the Zig Ziglar of my generation. Okay. I believe that if I give a speech every day for the next 30 years, one speech a day, I'm going to give 7,500 speeches. Okay. If I actually did that, yes, I could build an international training company, a conditional belief. The belief is based on a condition of my actions. So if somebody's watching this and they start doing some of the work that we're descri describing and they're like, I'm not seeing changes. Well, it's incremental. It's, it's micro improvements. They're really small, but they build on themselves. And so I've fallen in love with micro improvements and I, I understand it's peeling layers of the onion and we never quite get to the final layer. Our life, there's an opportunity to ongoingly peel the layers of the onion and anybody can choose this. Anybody can get better. It's, it's 100% predictable. And that's the whole continuous sales improvement mindset and that's what I've lived. And it's it's allowed me to, to get to the top of my career. And I think it's a proven formula really for anybody to make predictable improvements in their results. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that fourth element. When you say the mirror work, what do you mean by that? What are you doing during that time? Well, somebody told me one time, one of my coaches, they said, um, I want you to look in the mirror and make eye contact with yourself and smile and say, I love you. And so he gave me the instruction. He says, you know, do that for, you know, two, three, four minutes, do it every day. So we get on the next coaching call and for accountability, I'm checking in with the Eric on the mirror work. Did you do the, I love you statements? I said, no, I didn't do it. He goes, okay, well, do you think it's a good idea? I'm like, I, I don't really know if it's a good idea or not, but I'm willing to do it. So he asked me if I'll do it between now and the next call. So I say yes. And then we get on the call and I, I didn't, I didn't do it. It like took me like a couple of months <clears throat> to just try it. And I tried it and I found a shift in my thinking. And then I did the math. And here's the math, Meredith. Most people, how many times during a month are they on the receiving end of somebody sincerely saying, I love you? And I estimate for most human beings, it's zero to five times above. A month? And I'm not talking about as I'm walking out the door and I yell to my wife, who's in the other room, honey, I love you. And she yells back, I love you. I'm not being present with her. She's not being present with me. Like how often in a month does somebody receive that? And, and I believe those words are some of the most powerful words we could experience to feed our soul. So if most people are getting it zero to five times a month and some are getting it more, some aren't getting it at all. If I give myself, I love you smiling and I can do it. Sometimes I do it on zoom. Nobody's on the zoom. It's just me. I'm looking at the zoom. I, or I use my phone as a mirror. And what I do is I put my phone in selfie mode. So I got my phone in selfie mode here and I'll look at myself and make eye contact. I'll smile at myself. And I say, I love you. Well, if I do that one to three minutes a day, I'm going to be saying that to myself 10 to 15 times a day. Most people are getting it zero to five times a month. 
So you think about the math of that. You know, I don't think most people have that self-love. Well, why does that matter? It matters in your confidence. It matters when I look a CEO in the eye and I say, and I've done this recently with two different people, one a CEO and another one was a high-level executive. And I said, I will uplift, one case, I'll uplift your entire organization. I will uplift them. Or the other person, I said, I'll uplift your entire sales force. Well, I have to be confident to say, you can't, you're not going to fool a CEO or an executive if you don't really believe that in every cell of your being. So, but how do you get that confidence? I'm a former college dropout cook at McDonald's. Like how, how do I have this level of confidence? A piece of it is loving myself. A piece of it is my morning routine. And a piece of it is I do the weights. I work on my skills every day by listening to podcasts, by reading books, by working with coaches. And I'll do that until the end of my life. And the, what I've experienced is this isn't unique to me. In other words, anybody could follow the blueprint. Anybody can follow this blueprint and have massive gains in whatever, whatever area of your life you want to see improvement in. And, you know, this is a business podcast. So people watching this fall in love with this conversation a year from now, you probably won't even recognize yourself. Your skills will be so strong. Such a great point. When you look at doing this continuous improvement, thank you for sharing the mirror exercise, because I don't think that would have been obvious to folks listening. One of the other things you share in your book that I would love for you to share with my listeners, because I think it'll be really useful for them also, is around time management, because you have three things for people to remember. You know, I love the simplicity and the clarity with which you write and which you um, present the different systems that you have. It's not like this is too hard or complicated or boring. It's you bring it all to life. So talk about time management is one of those funny things, you know, that people wonder. You can't really manage time. You're really managing yourself. In the, the sphere of that, what have you found really works well? Well, back to your point about simplicity. So my morning routine, it's four to 12 minutes. A lot of people have a morning routine. It's an hour. I look at that and go, where am I going to find an hour? <laughs> Busy, right? <clears throat> so I'm looking for simplicity. And I learned um, a very simple idea from a gentleman named Alec McKenzie, who wrote The Time Trap. He's one of the top experts in the history of the world on time management. He said the number one thing when it comes to time management is plan your day in writing. It's something simple that anybody can do. So you take what you need to accomplish for the day and you write it down. And if you just did that consistently, you would see an improvement in your productivity. From there, my system is I teach 14 minutes a day. Take 14 minutes to plan your day in writing. And I got that from Napoleon Hill and W. Clement Stone. And in one of their books, they point out, if you do the math and you take 60 minutes times 24 hours, it's 1,440 minutes. So 1% 1 of 1440 is 14 minutes. So they're, they're advocating, take 1% of your day and plan your day in writing, which I, I like that idea. So blocking out 14 minutes. And then what I discovered is that planning is the process of asking and answering questions in writing. If you really think about it, if I'm going to plan today, it's like, well, what appointments do I have? Who do I need to follow up with? 
What will I do for my kids today? How will I improve my health today? Right? Where it's asking and answering questions and writing. Every day is pretty much the same. We do life in patterns. So I determine why not make a customized list of questions to ask myself to plan an optimum day. <clears throat> so the system is 14 minutes, pull out my questions, ask and answer the questions in writing, and then apply the 80-20 rule to my list of items for, for the day. The 80-20 rule says in a sales team, if you have 100 salespeople, the top 20 produce results equal to the bottom 80 combined. And there's many applications of the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is applicable to time management. In other words, if I have 10 items on my to-do list, there are two items when completed in theory that are equal in value to the bottom eight combined. And why that matters is we're rarely, if you're ambitious like me, you're rarely going to get everything done on your list for the day. So the skill set that becomes critical is to prioritize. So that's a skill set for all of you. Prioritizing and time management are learned skills. A learned skill means I can get better. Like I got to lift the weights. If I want to get better at prioritizing, I got to lift the priority prioritizing weights as far as the skill set. The reason that prioritizing matters is in part because of this device, smartphone. Because 30 years ago, Meredith, people weren't texting us. We, there wasn't any social media. It was pretty simple. And now most people are on multiple social media platforms and people can get to us at any time. We're receiving more messages than we've ever received in our life. And so because of all that, the skill set of prioritizing, if I was to say, Eric, what skill, should, skill set should I get better at? That would be one of them. So if you just plan your day in writing, prioritize your day, and you just, just did that consistently, you would, you would likely see a really significant improvement in your productivity. That's great. Thank you. Now, let's talk about leadership. And in your company, obviously, you're the leader, you're the founder. And over the years, you've had some important leadership lessons, I'm guessing. And I'd love for you to share one where you, you know, faced a real challenge. And how did you handle that? How did you grow from it as well? And I think this has to do, uh, if I'm remembering right, with um, losing some key employees. Yeah, there's been a number of lessons, Meredith, along the way. So I have learned leadership not by reading about it in a book. Uh, I've lived it. And um, starting my sales training company, as I started getting busier, I needed to hire an assistant. So now all of a sudden, I'm leading my assistant. And then I needed to hire a, um, an appointment setter. And then the next thing you know, I have a sales team. And so now I'm in this leadership position out of necessity. So I'm leading my clients through my seminars, but now I'm leading an, an internal team. And I had mentored this one individual through the company he was a part of. And he got so much training from me. He's like, Eric, I want to come work for you. I'm getting so much value. And and I got him really, really strong. He's a very dynamic individual. And he decided at one point that he wanted to start his own company, which is pretty common. If you're ambitious, you want to do your, I did it, right? So he, except his path, his strategy was, Eric's got all the sales talent around him, appointment setters and 
let me recruit Eric's talent away. So he, he essentially gutted my company. He took the best talent. They downloaded my database. They started calling my customers, Meredith. And they were going to some of my um, strategic alliance partners and creating new deals with them. And I think they thought I was going to go out of business. I went from a staff of 20 to a staff of one in 30 days and all kinds of other negative things started happening in my life. And I, my business was on, on life support, if you will. And I went into a state of depression and I had to shut my office down. Now I'm working from home. My one assistant stayed with me. She was working out of the garage. So I got Vanessa in the garage working and I'm working in the house and I'm feeling uh, betrayed. I'm feeling, uh, I've got creditors calling me because I can't pay my bills. All my cash flow just evaporated. And um, my wife was very upset with me. She's like, you need to go get a job. And so I got all these factors against me and now I'm depressed. And one morning I woke up and this thought popped in my head. And the thought was focus on revenue producing activities. That simple thought somehow just, it was out in the ether and it just went right into my subconscious mind. And the depression, it it's, doesn't even sound believable, but the depression just left me in that moment. And I just started putting my mind on what I wanted to create. And in this case, it was revenue, which is generating leads, setting appointments and running sales calls. So I started doing that and then revenue started coming in. And then I it shifted my thinking. I got into momentum and then more revenue came in. And I literally used that mindset to rebuild my company. And, you know, here I am. That was back in 2003. So, you know, we're a decade later now, roughly. And my business is stronger than ever. Uh, but the, the lesson that I learned, I had two key lessons and one was focusing on something positive as the, I was under all this adversity, that's what shifted. And then the other thing was my business model. I had, I didn't realize how much risk I had one person leaving could create all of that level of chaos, if you will, within my organization. So I did not have a business model. It was just, um, I was very susceptible. And so now I have a, a very different business model where I don't have that level of exposure. Um, what I got out of that was emotional muscle. And so now I can, I can speak to it. I can coach on it. And as other adversities show up in my life, I'm like, I got this, you know, because I went through that experience. Mm-hmm. And how have you grown as a leader? How would you, looking at yourself today as you lead the team, as you've now structured it, what are some of the things you incorporate and do on an ongoing basis that maybe you didn't do in your earlier years? I think the biggest thing is how I think about my team. And I, for many years, was in a complaint about my team. And what I've learned through the years, and this is something I've learned through the, the Facebook group and, and that you and I reconnected through, it's a very simple yet incredibly powerful distinction. And it's to see the gold in others. So I can look at my wife, for example, and I can see the extraordinary woman that she is. I could also look at my wife and I could look, because I live with her, I can look at every shortcoming, every little thing that tweaks me just a little bit or a lot. And my experience of my wife is whatever I choose to focus on. So with my team, a younger version of me 
would focus on where my team was falling short. And now my focus is on what can I do, number one, to see the goal of my team and how, how can I show up differently to support them? And it's a whole different way of thinking. If I'm like, if as the leader, what can I do differently versus a complaint about what they're not doing that they should be doing? So with that mindset, I, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future about my current team and how I can develop and mentor them to step into their leadership that they're capable of. And um, so I'm, you know, incredibly optimistic about the future. It's directly related to my team is who they are, but how I see them has shifted through the years. Mm -hmm. Such a powerful insight. I would love all of my listeners to think of someone that tends to annoy you (laughs) because I think, in that case, it's someone you're focusing on the negatives about them instead of looking for the gold. Eric, what you just shared is gold. <laughs> and I think it's a great segue to this book that we read called The Ultimate Coach about Steve Hardison. And it was co-authored by his wife, Amy Hardison, and another brilliant person, Alan D. Thompson. And so this book is not just about Steve Hardison's life. It's about how he shows up with his clients and in the world. And you read that book and you took the initiative to start this Facebook group. I would love for you to talk about, you know, what was behind that and tie in something I remember you telling me before in an earlier conversation about the influence Jay Abraham had on your thinking related to that Facebook group. Yeah. Well, some of you know the name uh, Jay Abraham, and he's one of the brilliant thinkers in our world. And he's been a mentor of mine. And I continue to learn from Jay. And uh, Jay has a very unique perspective on relationships and on networks and about how we, we serve others. And so having Jay's foundation from a training standpoint, and then I've known Steve Hardison since I think 2010, we've only met in person once. I'm not a client of his. I've never hired him. He's a coach. I've never hired him to coach me but I have a a love for his work. And I have always sought out the most profound thinkers, um, the top minds in the world, so I can learn from them and have some of them kind of, you know, rub off on me. And so um, Steve had mentioned me uh, in the book from some of the exchanges that we had had, just a brief mention. I'm not like a main part of the book, but there's a mention. And I had sent him a message thanking him for, putting me in the book. I was excited about that. He asked me for a phone call based on my message to him, acknowledging him for putting me in the book. On that phone call, it was obvious to me that he needed a Facebook group because this is the type of book that creates conversation and book enthusiasts. So people that read the book and people that, that love Steve's work, they need a place to connect and gather and share ideas And the Facebook group, I have a lot of experience running Facebook groups. I'm like, this is an obvious no-brainer thing. Steve should have a Facebook group. So all the readers of the book that want to come and gather can can do so. So I shared that with Steve. I said, you know, Steve, you should create a, a Facebook group on this phone call that we had. And he said, well, I don't know anything about that. So I said to him, 
I will create the group for you if you like the idea and I'll run it. I'll manage it. I'll lead it. It's a turnkey solution. You give me the green light. I'll do it. Having said that, Steve, take a couple of days to think about it. And after a few days, if you decide that you want to do it, let me know. The reason I told him to think about it for a few days, it's a pretty big decision because we don't really know each other that well. And he's basically giving his reputation. He's giving his stamp of approval on me because I'm now running his group. I'm the leader of his group. And by the end of the phone call, he says, I don't need a couple of days to think about it. I'm ready. Let's do this. So I put the group together. I sent him a message later on that night. I said, I'm going to hit the go button if, if you give this the green light. He said, okay, let's do it. So I started the Facebook group and we had, I don't know, I think a thousand members within a week. We've been around for a few months now. We're, we're over 5,000 members. Starting that Facebook group for Steve, he then said, could you do the same thing for me on Instagram? I said, yes. So I put together a team and we created an Instagram. Then I said, do you want me to do this on YouTube? And he said, yes. And so I put a team together. We did it on YouTube. And now we have a website. And I'm essentially running all of his social media for him. And without going into, there's, you know, we could talk for hours on this one topic, but I made a 20-year commitment to Steve. I said, I will run these platforms for you for the next 20 years. This has to do with my mindset. So I'm the type of person that, Part of how I think about life is planting my flag. So I planted my flag in 1999. I said, I'm going to be a sales trainer into my mid-70s. I planted my flag with my first wife. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Now I'm remarried. I planted my flag with my second wife. Um, I planted my flag with Steve to run these groups because I, I understand the power of commitment, which is part of how I think. And part of the business strategy behind it It's like, well, Eric, why would you run all these social medias and make a 20-year commitment? And I'm not being paid for this, nor did I ask to be paid for it. So you go, well, why would you do that? Well, Jay taught me a concept called social currency. And social currency is an asset like cash, gold, real estate equity, stocks, except it's social currency. And what it means is if you do something nice for somebody, you created social currency. They don't owe you but social currency got created. So if I help my friend move, he's moving his house and I help load the truck up and I do it as the kindness of my heart, he doesn't owe me, but I do have social currency. So I understand that by running these platforms for Steve, it creates social currency. Steve doesn't owe me. Well, one of the things that organically happened after me doing this is one of Steve's clients has a company with 400 employees and Steve walked me right in there and told the CEO of that company, you need to hire Eric Offham. Well, Meredith, that one deal, and we'll see how it unfolds. It's We're in the very beginning. It's a multi-million dollar deal. So I'm creating value for Steve and for the community. I'm not expecting anything in return. No one owes me anything. But then, oh, by the way, this organically happened. And that's the principle of social currency. So I made a strategic decision and I did it very quickly. And the strategic decision was plant your flag, put your time into this network and this relationship. And Eric, phenomenal things are going to happen in your future. And that is what's happening. And so most people would go, well, what's in it for me? And I look at it and go, okay, 
this is a relationship that will create extraordinary value for me, for Stephen, for the entire community, that the community will grow to over 100,000 at some point, I believe. So that's a little background behind that story, Social Currency, Jay Abraham and Steve Hardison. Mm -hmm. There's so much in there for people to take away, Eric. I, I love that you took the initiative. You know, you saw a need and you saw an opportunity to make a difference. And I watch you because I am in that group and the consistency that you show in your leadership of getting conversations going. You know, I know so many people that have started a Facebook group or Facebook page and, you know, it dies because mm -hmm. there's a lack of engagement and you are committed to the success of this group. And it's the reason so many people have told others and brought them to the group and recommended it because it is unique in my experience on all these different platforms. The, the, not just the engagement, it's deeper than that. It's people sharing this whole thing of how am I being in a given moment and a willingness to be vulnerable and open. And I think that speaks directly to your leadership in the group, the way you initiated the whole process and how you maintain it, the way you acknowledge other people who are willing to be vulnerable and honest makes it safe for others. There's so many takeaways from just the way that you started and are running that Facebook group that have application for every one of my listeners in their role as a leader, in their role as a human being. How do I want to show up with my family, with the individual family members, with the people in my company? I, I just think there are so many wonderful lessons to take away. And we could talk for another hour. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to have us wrap this up, though, just for the sake of time. I want to reinforce, though, the, all the value you've brought to my listeners today and acknowledge you for being not just a, a really great leader, but a, a fantastic person who's committed to your growth and, and all these, you know, big goals that you've had, they are driven not from your ego to be seen as so great, in my opinion, it's that you are driven to serve. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, all these things happen because of that focus on on serving. So I think for wrapping up, let's have you describe sales as service. Why do you define it that way? Well, there's a lot of different mindsets about selling. And, you know, there, there is a numbers component to selling. Sales is a numbers game is a common commonly thing that's heard. A lot of people are uncomfortable with sales. You know, there's a stigma to sales in our culture People think of sales as arm twisting, high pressure, manipulation. And so how I choose to show up and what I teach my clients is selling equal service. Sell from honesty, integrity, and compassion. Selling is about leading. Selling is about moving people to action. And so it's how we show up in that sales conversation. It really does matter. If I show up and I'm like, I'm here to serve this other person. And if serving them means recommending my product and asking them to buy, great. If serving them means, you know what, you're not the right fit for the product, for where you're at, what I'm offering isn't exactly what you need. 
if I show up as that, they're going to feel that there's going to be a trust there. They're going to want to refer me to people. And so it's helping people get connected to that. You, you can sell by serving. For some people, that's a completely foreign idea. And so um, that's how I look at selling is, is uh, equal service. Mm-hmm. I just thought of one more thing I have to ask you before I let you go. And that is the way you approach getting no, because you see it as a win. And I think this is helpful for all of my listeners. When you need to ask for something big and you're afraid of hearing no, Eric has some great insights around that. Would you share with us how you see every no is a win? I got this distinction after doing literally 100,000 cold calls. So you're just doing something again and again and again, and you're facing rejection. And the, the challenge that people have is if I reach out, they might reject me. And that's the number one reason why people don't do more prospecting or reaching out is fear of rejection. And here's the problem. The rhythm of prospecting is no, 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 yes. So there's all these no's along the way to get your debt. No, 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 yes. So if I'm afraid of a no, and I'm walking in to a prospecting situation, knowing there's a very high probability that I'm going to get a no, I'm probably not going to do the reach out in the first place. So this is the mindset that I created. When I prospect, just the act of prospecting, I win. And when I book the appointment, if I'm trying to book an appointment, I double win. So I either win or I double win, I win no matter what. Someone else prospects, they have no win. And it's like, if they get the no, it's like, ugh. So someone else is, they're getting this all day long, floats, and I'm getting this all day long. I'm either getting this or I'm getting this. So I can boldly prospect any CEO, any executive, any individual, any celebrity, any athlete, because the act of doing the prospecting is a win by itself. So all day long, I'm acknowledging myself. I am my number one cheerleader. That's one of my declarations. And I literally pat myself on the back. I tend to not do negative self-talk because I'm being my number one cheerleader. And a lot of people are the opposite. They, they'll say to me in a coaching call, Meredith, I am my harshest critic. So think about that. They're showing up as their harshest critic. I'm showing up as my number one cheerleader. So all day long, they're fighting being their harshest critic. And all day long, I'm acknowledging myself. And it's a completely different reality based on our, our view on how we see the world. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, that's so powerful. If people think about that, that distinction and listen to their inner voices, what are you saying to yourself throughout mm-hmm. the day? I love that you're your number one cheerleader. I think it shows, you know, just in how you show up. And I want to really thank you for that. Eric, tell people how they can learn more about you, the services you offer, joining the Facebook group and getting a copy of your continuous sales improvement book. Well, I'm the only Eric Lofholm on the planet. So if you Google me, you're going to find me. My website is saleschampion.com. I'm on all the social media platforms. If you're a YouTube person, you can find me on YouTube. If you're a Facebook person, you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. So just put my name in, connect with me however you would like to connect with me. I have my books on Amazon. So if you just 
put Eric Hoffman on Amazon. The Facebook group that we're talking about is called the Ultimate Coach Facebook group. And that's a group that I created to support Steve Hardison and the book, The Ultimate Coach. You might enjoy joining the group and just watching how I lead. I'm in there every single day leading. So you can just watch to see how I do it and learn from my consistency and my approach. So Google me, find me on social media, join the Facebook group. Those are some great ways to connect. Eric, thank you for how you showed up today with me and for my audience and for who you are in the world. I just love you and what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.